Welcome to this week's episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind the breweries filling up your glass. Today, we're chatting with Ian Wanger from Fifth Ward Brewing Company in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Ian got his start brewing beer after he made wine for a college science class. Realizing he could make wine as any college kid would, he decided to give beer a go. And the best part is that he was still living in the dorms at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. So he needed to find a different place to brew beer, which just so happened to be his mom's basement. (laughs) Ian lets a little lawless deed slip about sneaking his beer back into the dorms. So for legal purposes, I really hope the statute of limitations is up on that. And I also want to make it very clear that just because we know about it now, we are fully recusing ourselves as any sort of accessory to whatever might have happened there. No, no, no. It was an educational endeavor that led to an entrepreneurial enterprise. As he and some partners opened a brewery with the encouragement and help of the UW Oshkosh Small Business Development Center. So I think he'll be all right here. Let's hope so. It was also cool to hear how the Milwaukee Bucks G League team coming to Oshkosh provided some leverage for small businesses to secure financing and getting their their dream uh, off the ground. Beer and basketball seem like a great duo with Fifth Ward Brewing Company's location so close to the Herds Arena. I think it'd be cool to see those historic lager caves Ian mentioned from the original Fifth Ward Brewery that was around in the mid-19th century. But this Fifth Ward Brewery is not the same as that Fifth Ward Brewery, but rather just a nod to the original Fifth Ward Brewery. This Fifth Ward isn't even in Oshkosh's Fifth Ward neighborhood. Were you just seeing how many times you could say Fifth Ward in one sentence? I sure was. How'd I do? Eh, You did all right. (laughs) Uh, I loved Ian's outlook on beer. Every beer is its own character with its own personality and attitude. So grab yourself a beer that's full of attitude and personality and enjoy our conversation with Ian from Fifth Ward Brewing in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Cheers to these sponsors for supporting our podcast. Who doesn't love a good beer special? With Real Craft Pass, you can get two-for-one beers at more than 120 Wisconsin breweries. That's buy one beer and pour another round for free. This is Wisconsin's biggest buy-one-get-one brewery booklet. And guess what? What? Pour Another Round listeners can get 10% off any Real Craft Pass booklet. Just use the code POURANOTHERROUND at realcraftpass.com. That's real with two E's, like a fishing reel. Not only is there over $800 in savings at Wisconsin breweries, but craft passes are also available for other states like Michigan, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and New Hampshire. Just visit realcraftpass.com and at checkout, use the promo code POURANOTHERROUND. I'm Cameron. And I'm Jonathan. We We like beer. beer. Some of the best stories start with beer, but now it's time to make beer the story. Pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Today we're sharing a round with Fifth Ward Brewing Company out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and are joined by owner Ian Wenger. Ian, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So Fifth Ward Brewing is located in Oshkosh, but it's not actually in the official Fifth Ward of Oshkosh. Is that correct? Tell us where that name actually comes from. 
So um, I guess a little background. Basically, uh, Fifth Ward sort of started as an idea. I was working at a going to school here at UWO in Oshkosh, um, working at an Irish pub. It was kind of a craft beer centric Irish pub. And uh, one of the guys I worked with in the kitchen, Zach Clark, who is uh, the co-founder with me as well, him and I kind of, well, I actually freshman year of college, I had taken a ecology or a mycology class. I have a biology major and so it's a study of fun, fungi and yeast and all that sort of stuff. And we made wine as like a project just <laughs> out of like juice um, and some sugar and bread yeast. And I was like, well, if it's this simple, why am I, you know, spending money on cases of beer? I was like, let's just get a five gallon pail together and started making some wine in the basement at my mom's house um, while I was still living in the dorms. And then so I'd like sneak it back into the, the dorms, you know, in my backpack and <laughs> gallon jars or whatever. My, it tasted terrible. My roommates loved it, though. You mix a little Sprite and it, it got the job done. But Free booze is always the best booze. Yeah, exactly. And I had mentioned that, that I was doing that to Zach. And I, I think about maybe six months later, he kind of came to me. I was closing up the kitchen one night and he showed up. He's like, hey, he's like, what do you think about trying to make some like beer, like homebrew and like real beer? I'm like, yeah, for sure. Because like I said, the, the Irish probably worked out was very like craft beer centric. I think at the time they had... 28 taps which was like in 2010 you know like the most it was insane amount of taps you know and it, it was I think the most in Oshkosh at the time and obviously that's not very many now but so we yeah we basically just kind of started talking about it and I think a couple of weeks later after reading some books and doing some research I know we had gone on to like Lakefront Brewery just sort of to like do the tours and kind of just see you know what kind of how the process works and all that uh, we went down and bought like a 25 gallon kettle uh, Blickman uh, Boilermaker from uh Great Northern Brewing, I forget which, whatever it is, down in Milwaukee, that homebrew sure. shop. Basically, yeah, just brought it back that first day. I think we bought a Saison kit. And it was the one and only time we ever bought a kit for homebrew because being, you know, Zach's got his culinary apprenticeship from um, Fox Alley Tech, you know, and I had been cooking for, I was cooking throughout high school and I just something I always did when I was a kid with my parents and stuff. So we were big into the idea of just creating our own recipes. Turns out that Zach and I actually lived about two houses down from each other on the same street, uh, Prospect Ave, on the campus of UWL. And after we started homebrewing in his basement, we learned that uh, through the homebrew club, and there's a guy in our homebrew club named Lee Reiser, it's a really good blog, the Oshkosh Beer Blog, and just like all sorts of crazy history about Oshkosh brewing and stuff. Um, we found out that there was a Fifth Ward brewery about two blocks away from the house that from Zach's house and my house basically where we were brewing um and that the original fifth ward of Oshkosh was the sort of UWO campus area and we got you know like coming up with a name and all it's a, it's a difficult proposition you know for especially opening up a new brewery we didn't want to be uh like we always knew we wanted to be sort of Oshkosh's local brewery sort of do what you know we had seen and enjoyed through other breweries you know Fox Rivers makes great beer here in Oshkosh Bear Bones makes great beer but they're both very um, traditional and kind of have their own styles and things that they uh, do best and we wanted to really kind of up the ante and sort of do some experimental stuff but we knew we wanted to distribute as well and we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into being just like an Oshkosh brewery you know we could have gone with Oshkosh brewing or something like that but uh, we thought that a good sort of nod to the, the history of Oshkosh and brewing in Oshkosh while not necessarily keeping us just stuck to Oshkosh was uh, using Fifth Ward um, Brewing Company as a name. So, so you were home brewing did you early on you and Zach talk about opening up a brewery or did you just homebrew as a, as a hobby and a way to drink? And then that came way later down the road. Yeah, no, we very naively were like, let's open up a brewery. <laughs> and um, I mean, literally before we, I think before we bought equipment, we were looking up, you know, we, we'd have these like sessions where we'd grab some, you know, craft beers from festival foods or whatever, grab a six pack or something like that. And uh, kind of just hang out and we'd, we'd, you know, have our laptops and our notebooks and we'd be going through. I remember, 
looking up keg leasing, you know, pricing and all this sort of stuff, kind of like the early stages of throwing together a business plan, just sort of looking at, we were trying to find farmers numbers we could give spent grain to. I mean, just like kind of really jumping the gun and getting ahead of ourselves. But um, I think that kind of followed through in the whole project in the end. And so, yeah, it was like, call it naivety, call it whatever, but we, we definitely uh, got, got in pretty deep. I always tell people, it's like, we just started digging a hole and eventually we couldn't get out of it. And we just had to like keep digging down, you know? <laughs> And so the, the original Fifth Ward Brewery was, you know, was existed in the 1800s in, in Oshkosh and closed yep. its doors in 1882. Um, but your, your Fifth Ward Brewing doesn't, it's, it's not a re- reincarnation of the original, but rather a nod to the historical roots that, that Oshkosh has in brewing. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, you know, in the, in historically, Oshkosh has been a very um, German town. There's a lot of uh, German immigrants that moved here in, in the 1800s. And so a lot of those breweries that opened up had um, Christian Kaler, for example, the guy that opened the Fifth Ward Brewery back in the day, was a German immigrant, had learned to brew in Germany and Bavaria and all that and brought his talents over here. And so he was kind of one of the last, basically, he was sort of one of the last holdouts of the traditional old school pre-industrial sort of brewing technique. So he was doing a lot of the things by hand, still, you know, lagering in caves and in wood and all that sort of stuff. So he, he was kind of one of the last holdouts of traditional brewing techniques. But yeah, we don't necessarily... We don't, at the moment, we don't have the room to do lagers or anything like that. And that's mostly what he was making. We'd love to. We, we had a nice little run of lagers earlier this summer uh, when the shutdown happened. We thought we were going to have, you know, not be selling as much beer. So we tied our tanks up. <laughs> well, if, if you don't have the room for it, maybe you got to find those, those uh, caves that they were using back then. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, it's funny. There's actually a park um, about half a mile south on Main Street here in Oshkosh right down the road from the brewery where it's um, called Glass Park. And the guy, it's named after, I forget the first name, but the Glass family who owned a brewery down there. And you, there's still, there's like a trail you can walk through and the the like stone walls of the caves are still like about two or three feet up coming out of the ground. So you can tell they've all been filled in, but it's like, you can still kind of see the remnants of the historical things. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so where exactly are you guys located within Oshkosh and how did you pick that, that specific location? I mean, we knew we wanted to be in Oshkosh. Um, I mean, Zach, Zach was born and raised here. I'm from Menasha originally, so just north of here. Um, moved here in 2009 to start going to school. And basically, I mean, the city itself has changed pretty dramatically since I moved here. I mean, the downtown area where we are sitting now. So we, we bought a property um, on the south side of Main Street. And prior to buying this property, we had really searched around the city and looked for different locations. The west side was kind of more of the... Um, newly developed area right by the highway, you know, where it's all the new suburb developments and neighborhoods and kind of the suburbs sort of, I guess you could say of Oshkosh. So we had a lot of people telling us to go over on that side. We had looked at a few places over there, but there just wasn't like character that we were looking for. Um, and, you know, for, through our research and kind of just reading and talking to other breweries and brewery owners and really looking at sort of what the data showed for where to start, breweries have been really shown to be sort of these like economic drivers to blighted areas of cities. Not only that, but it's buying a building in a rundown part of the city is a lot cheaper than buying something in an up and coming new spot. So, um, sure. you know, and we, there's a lot of really cool old architecture in Oshkosh. And so we had actually initially, the building that we're in now was the second one that we had actually gone through plan development with the city and everything. We went through it all with this one building about three blocks away from where we are now with this building that was, I think built in 1870 and it was super cool, ton of character. It was like this had four big storefronts. They were really long and narrow, but then there was a big warehouse on the back. And then apartments up top. It was like this really great 
set up but the more we get dug into it the more we're like oh this is just gonna be a nightmare to actually like upgrade and we knew that if we were actually gonna have apartments we were gonna have to then be landlords and it was just all this <laughs> like extra stuff that we were kind of just piling on ourselves and whole another animal yeah and it was like well let's just focus kind of zero in on what we really want to do and initially um i know this may have thought that lasted a month or two was that we actually weren't going to have a tap room it was just going to be a production facility we we're going to focus on distribution but we quickly learned that that was not the right thing to do before thankfully before we ever really got the ball rolling so yeah, when we did not end up finding the property that we wanted, it's a 7,500 square foot building on a big corner lot, but you know, quarter of a city block basically is what we, we take up here, Occupy. It's on South Main Street. So North Main is kind of the main developed area of downtown Oshkosh. South Main Street is sort of in the midst of a redevelopment surge that's been going on for, you know, since 2015. But of course, as everybody knows, happens at the speed of business which is at a super slow snail crawl but when we we've actually bought the property before we had financing lined up i mean really from a to z we did a lot of work with uh, uwo and the small business development center and you know they helped us like polish our business plan and all that kind of stuff and hooked us up with a banker that kind of showed us what we needed to actually get together in terms of financials and all this sort of stuff realized how much money we would need um then we spent about two years called it our blind date period just meeting investors i mean literally like we were big in the homebrew club like we were on the board of the oshkosh homebrew club so we would just at all the meetings like hey if you guys know anybody that's interested in investing in a brewery let us know and um eventually we've met this guy maurice who uh became our third partner invited him over to brew homebrew with us one day in the basement and he just he loved the beer we just really hit it off with him and ever since then it kind of just had the ball rolling and so we had him on our side um and with his backing, we were able to buy a building before we had bank financing. Okay. And so we actually were sitting on this property for about a year before we actually were able to pull the trigger and actually say, yeah, we're going to open up a brewery. We, it happened that there was a property literally kitty corner to us where it used to be an old furniture factory called Buckstaff. They made like office furniture and stuff. And it had been vacant for, I think, 20 years or something. Huge fire hazard. I mean, like total eyesore of the city. And so the city had a lot of, you know, motivation to get rid of that. And that's when the Milwaukee Bucks had their G League team in development, the uh, Wisconsin Herd. So basically there was that whole year where we had bought the property. That whole year there was all these whispers of, well, Oshkosh is in the running for the Herd. And they're talking about putting it on the, you know, where the Buckstaff building is. And we're like, well, shit, we're like right there, you know, like that'd be great. And and then there we had, we had shopped around banks. I mean, like literally from greenville to fond du lac you know we met with every banker we could and it's tough for a couple 26 year old college kids going in you know to banks going hey we're looking for three quarters of a million dollars like what's up you know and and we ended up circling back i think it was february or march of 2017 and uh basically circled back to that first banker that we'd ever met with his name's kurt um it's like a local lending agency here in, in town and kind of you know we we circle back and we were like we had here's everything we have like we have our you know building purchased we have a slew of other smaller you know number investors just all this you know we have recipes we have we did all our market research we have all the backing from you know whatever he's like well, what do you want us to do and we're like well if, we're like can you just take a look at it and see if you can do anything he's like all right i'll look and he ended up getting us an sba loan he didn't actually say yes until about a week before the herd announced that they were picking oshkosh but he said, hey, he's like, let's let's set a meeting up next week. He's like, I think something might be happening that'll let us really be confident in this whole 
scenario and we're like okay we know what's gonna happen and so yeah a week later basically we went and signed the paper and um i think mid second week of april we had the the loan and you know at that point we had already had our contractor um zach's uncle's an architect for keller contracting so i mean like huge construction company so like we had all the plans and everything drawn up and everything like ready to go so as soon as we had the financing it was just pull the trigger and, and start going and as soon as that as soon as we knew that we had the finance to do it, then uh, we kind of bootstrapped the whole demolition. You know, we did everything we could ourselves, ripping up the ceilings and kind of gutting the building and getting it ready for uh, construction and all that. So I forget the initial question that you asked. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, but that, that sounds like a, a pretty great fate with the, the Bucks G League moving across the street from you to, to get the ball rolling. So that's really cool that that all worked out well for you. What is the historical... Is there, is there a historical significance of the building that you're in or what, what did it used to be? So, yeah. And actually, so we, the property that we bought 1009 South main street back in the day, Oshkosh was like split by the, well, it's still split by the, the Fox river. And there's the North side that used to call it New York. And then the South side used to be called Brooklyn. And so we're on the Brooklyn side of town. And it used to be this kind of like, it was two different cities essentially for a long, long time in the late 1800s. But where we're at was a, um, we, we found some pictures. There used to be like tenant housing and stuff on our property way back in the day. And then there was, uh, we found some other photos from the 40s or 30s. Uh, it was a filling station called Canteen, um, just Canteen or whatever. Before we bought the property, it had been vacant for about five years. But the company that owned the building is Canteen Vending Services. So I'm not sure if they took the name of the original filling station or how that all came about original structure that we're in because the building that we're in was built in I think three or four different sections the first section was built in the 30s or 40s and then slowly just like you know the bigger warehouses and things were sort of added on I think up until about 1974 so I mean not necessarily historical significance but it is a fairly old building in the grand scheme of things and so I mentioned you know we did a lot of the our like demolition and all that we did all our own landscaping too and you know, we were planting these trees out front and you get about 18 inches down and we had heard that there was a fire that that tenant house had burned down at one point and you get about 18 inches down into the ground and we were finding there was about a six inch layer of just straight like ash with broken plates and old bottles and like wow. you're finding all sorts of cool stuff like yeah so i mean there's definitely some history to this property a lot of it we don't really even know <laughs> well i'm getting thirsty so i think it's time that we drink some of your beer the first beer that we've got um, from fifth ward is called haze it or love it and this is a new england ipa yep and so tell us about this beer and kind of where what the origins of of this the name and the kind of flavors that went into it yeah well as you guys i'm sure know the craft beer industry moves at the speed of light um <laughs> and trends change and things happen and we opened up and uh, I had actually been working up at Lionsdale Brewing up in Nina for a little while before we opened up. And right when he, when Alex put out Juice Cloud, I was, I was working there. So it was kind of one of those things, like I got to see the first sort of Fox Valley Hazy IPA come out and, you know, we opened up and we didn't really, we had these three core beers that we had been running with. One of them was a honey wheat with saffron. The other one was just a pale ale with uh, like Cascade Chinook and Centennial. And then we had a, a brown ale with molasses and cinnamon. Um, I mentioned that Zach and I both have culinary backgrounds, so we do try and work a lot of that stuff into our beers. But haze it or love it, we we do have like a small pilot, half barrel pilot system that we used to use quite a bit. We haven't used it in a long time, but uh, it was something that, like let sure let's just try let's try making a hazy IPA. We'll start uh, messing around with it, and we we had a couple first tries, and they went over pretty well in the tab room. And then we realized that we really need to start working on water chemistry and things like that. So what we started just doing, I mean, like you know, brewed I think ten or fifteen different hazy IPAs, same recipe every time. 
just different water profile. And eventually we kind of dialed in what we were trying to get. Huge, obviously Citra is a kind of a staple in the, the hazy IPA realm. Um, and Simcoe, we really love the, the piney and grapefruit characters that we got out of Simcoe. So uh, we found that blend worked really well for us too. We tried to tend to keep ours a little bit drier and not as sweet as some of the other ones tend to be. I think there was a point, you know, I've always noticed it's crappier. There's like a pendulum, you know, there was like a, back in the mid late two thousands. It's like, how many IBUs can you stuff into this bottle? You know, you get those million IBU beers and then it kind of swing it back the other way now. And then it was, you know, two years ago, it's like, well, how much lactose and fruit puree can we fit into these IPAs? And I think it's kind of coming back the other way where people are looking for a little bit more balanced and we kind of wanted to be on the front end of that. So we're, we deliberately kind of kept our hazy IPA a little bit drier um, and not super sweet and cloying, mm -hmm. um, a little bit easier drinking, but still maintain that like super low bitterness. Something you can drink more than one of. Yeah, exactly. And then as for names, Zach and I are both huge hip hop fans, old school, new school hip hop, whatever. So kind of just a reference to the, the game in 50 cents, hate it or, lo or hate it or love it. The underdog's on top, baby. <laughs> Even that the can art gives off that that graffiti look to it, uh, a little bit of that, I guess, hip hop feel flair to it. So yeah, for sure, urban. Yeah, urban. There you go. Uh, what? Where do you guys? How, how do you come up with the the creative behind the visual creative of of these cans? Well, funny enough, the canning thing is very new to us. We actually just got our canning line up and running right before Christmas. And what we've learned through doing brand development and things like that with um, like through the other packaging of our six packs and stuff that we had done, it's just so ridiculously, ridiculously expensive and kind of just time consuming that we decided just to bring everything in-house. And I mean, again, we still really, everything is just handled in-house and from distribution to sales to whatever. Zach does a lot of the accounting and inventory stuff. I'm more social media management, branding, advertising. And then him and I both split the brewing uh, duties and things like that. So the labels, honestly, are just all from my brain. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, you know, downloaded Adobe Illustrator and watched enough YouTube videos and really just started messing around. And I, it, in my head, I, I come up with most of the names of the beers and stuff too. And so in my head, they all have their, they're all little characters. Like every beer sort of has its like, you know, personality and attitude and all this sort of stuff. And I think they kind of. It's like um, a, having a bunch of children. Yeah, exactly. They all kind of come out of that, you know, so it, it's really just kind of whatever I think looks good. So. And you mentioned that um, Haze It or Love It is, is kind of one of your, your flagship beers, right? So it's something that's yep. available at any time at Fifth Ward? Yep, that's well, as long as we can keep up. We're just, we sure. actually just ran out of cans this weekend, but um, okay. we're brewing it this week, so. <laughs> sure, it's a good but problem yeah, to have. Draft. So. You can get it in crawlers if you want. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's a great beer and it's got that, that well, that good balance between it. It's not too bitter, it's not too sweet. It's just kind of that, that perfect, a little dank, a little citrusy. It's, it's a, a really good hazy ipa yeah for sure and you know we're and we're st it's still definitely like what well, we're still tweaking sort of um hopping rates and sort of hopping temperatures and dry hop temperatures one of these beers i think a lot of people breweries and, and from the research we've done people have ran into some issues with these dry hop beers like especially ones that there's a heavy contingent of oats in this beer to kind of give it that mouthfeel and smooth creaminess but this phenomenon we were running into called um hop creep which is a post-fermentation um drop in um gravity so what was happening is we were dry hopping at about we'd ferment and then we uh, drop we'd get up to about 72 degrees before we dry hopped and then we'd um crash it to about 65 degrees to get the yeast to kind of drop out a solution and basically we dry hop but because that yeast was still in there it turns out when you throw there's enzyme amylase enzyme which is what causes starches to turn into sugars and you know 
allows the yeast to feed. So there's a lot of amylates in hops and we were hopping at such a rate that we were actually seeing a secondary fermentation because our hopping rates were freeing up so much more starch through that free amylase enzyme. So it was something we really had to account for. And it, this beer is still, it's an ongoing experiment. You know, like I said, we have it dialed in in terms of flavor profile and stuff, but just our hopping rates and things like that, trying to get it more clean, more bright, kind of just more hop aroma and flavor. And so just trying to maximize that impact. But um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's got to stay consistent. I think as the craft brewers, you know, we all have a little bit of leeway in how consistent these beers can actually be. And I think people are a little bit more forgiving than if they're drinking Bud Light or whatever. And, you know, they need it to be the same thing every time. So I think part of uh, the draw to craft beer is a little bit of that experimentation process and trying new things and going out on some limbs. So I think that's definitely welcome in the, in the industry, obviously quality is, is of utmost importance. So yeah. what's your, what's your quality assurance look like from all these experiments you guys are trying? Just really sensory stuff. And you know, we have, we haven't had any like souring or anything like that ever happen. We've had, I think within the first 12 months that we were open, we had to dump two batches. It was a yeast thing, but it was because we had pitched, um, we repitch our yeast. So we'll, we'll get about eight to 10 batches per purchase of yeast that we make. And we had done a double batch of our honey wheat and our pale ale, and we pitched the same yeast into the both of those. And I don't know what had happened. It just was not healthy. It kind of had this like Belgian characteristic. So we dumped that, but really since then we haven't really had any issues, you know, it's just coming up with good processes and sticking to those processes. And, you know, when you find something that works, trying not to, um, go too far off the path of that sort of stuff. Good sanitation and just, you know, good fermentations and keeping oxygen out of the beers. I mean, just pretty standard stuff. Quality assurance at a brewery doesn't sound like too bad of a gig. No, it's, yeah, it's a lot of, right. A lot of sensory analysis. Well, we, uh, I mean, we, we actually recently, I mean, we had a pretty good year this last year. So we, we've had the equipment to start to set up our own little lab. We just haven't gotten the time to get around to really doing the, like we have our microscope and our titrating kits and all that sort of stuff. Now we just haven't really gotten up to actually get the program running. Well, so it sounds like a lot of hard work obviously goes into each one of these beers. Your, your motto, you have it on the can and I saw it on your website. I don't know if you call it your motto, but the well-brewed, well-deserved. Yep. Obviously the well-brewed is, is a no-brainer. That's you know a good brewing job. What does the well-deserved yeah. half of that mean to you? So our whole thing, like our, we've always just been huge proponents of the idea of doing things yourself if you can. And, you know, like I mentioned, when we bought the building, there's some great videos on our our Facebook page, like way in the, if you go back and look at like our initial posts before we were ever open, I mean, there's some great videos of us like knocking down cinder block walls and stuff like that in the brewery. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're not afraid of hard work and we're not afraid to put in the time and effort. Most, you know, mostly because we enjoy what we do. And at the end of the day, there's beer, you know, it's like, it's what we're doing is making beer, so it could be a lot worse, but, but it's this idea that when you work hard, you can play hard. So, you know, it's, it's well-brewed. We work hard to make it well-brewed. And at the end of the day, it's well-deserved. Sure. A nice payoff. Yeah. We, we believe a lot of our customers are kind of the same way. You know, it's, it's, we're not necessarily like Oshkosh, I wouldn't say is a blue collar town per se, but there is a lot, you know, we have a lot of um, manufacturing and things like that here. And I think people kind of appreciate that and understand the idea of, you know, hard work pays off. And at the end of the day, everybody does, if you work hard, you deserve to have a nice, you know, refreshing haze or love at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> Exactly. There you go. And so Ian, what do you, what, what aspects about being part of the brewing industry do you love the most? What makes being a part of this industry, um, brewing beer so exciting? It's an industry full of characters. I mean, like everybody is just so, everybody has their own story and everybody's just a little bit different. I think there's the trials and tribulations of opening a brewery where I think a lot of it is the same um, for a lot of breweries, but in different, I don't know if that makes any sense, like, in, but in different ways, you know, like everybody sort of runs into some of the same issues, but the way that they deal with them can be vastly different. And I've found that 
even just the, it's not, you know, as important as networking is in any business, it, it doesn't feel like networking when we're doing it with the beers um, or the other breweries, you know, like, and it, there isn't, we, we talk about competition and I don't necessarily see like the local breweries in the area as being our competition, you know, like we help, we all help each other out. We all collaborate, you know, we've done several collaborations with McFleshman's up in Appleton, who I think is making some of the best, um, you know, like English and traditional style beers in the area. But I mean, just the people are great and, you know, it's, it's a fun, fun industry to be. It's, it's, it's alcohol, you know, at the end of the day, it is, it's a, it's sort of centered around the thing that people use to celebrate and party and relax and all that sort of stuff. So I, that's a huge aspect of it for sure. And going back to the conversation uh, a little bit ago where you, you bought your property in maybe not quite as revitalized part of town yet because it was cheaper. A lot of brewers we've talked to have, have done similar things in hopes that that becomes a catalyst within the, within that neighborhood to, to draw that growth. Obviously the, the Bucks franchise moving in across the street from you helped a little bit too, but you mentioned Oshkosh has transformed so much and grown since you've even moved there uh, just over 10 years ago. How, do you, how have you noticed you guys have positively in, influenced your community and, and your neighborhood specifically? Um, I just, even just looking at the, what we've done to the property in general, if you see pictures of what it was before we bought it compared to now, I mean, just the, you know, there's obviously the visual aspect of all that, that really is just an upgrade and beautification of the neighborhood kind of thing. But also there haven't, there weren't a lot of options for recreation, whether it be drinking or eating or whatever on this side of town. And, you know, there's some pretty vast neighborhoods on this side of town that were being underserved, especially with something like this. You know, the closest brewery in town was Fox River, which is sort of on the other side of town or Bare Bones, which is kind of outside of town. So we definitely just added, I think, in terms of just like, you know, value of living sort of stuff or quality of living in this neighborhood specifically, we've definitely added. Not only that, but it's, it's drawn a lot of people to this side of town that I don't think would have ever been here before anyways. You know, some people that may have never even crossed the river to come down to the south side of Main Street to really see what's been going on. And I, I think that that has really added, um, it's kind of got it, gotten it into people's minds that this is going to be a, a side of town that is hopefully going to be, you know, redeveloped in the sooner future than, than later. But, you know, the city's got a ton of huge ideas for what they want to do in terms of like green space and, you know, there's, we had Elro Steel plant across the street from us that they just built a huge plant like south on the highway, like outside in some industrial park. So like that's going to be going down soon. Um, the big thing with Oshkosh is it's been an industrial town since the beginning. It was built off of logging and all that stuff. And I always laugh because people come here from other states or other cities like for school. And I like, you know, and, and they mention it's like we have all this great waterfront and it's either very high income housing or it's like old industrial park stuff. And it, you know, where it's our, our waterfront is so underutilized and we're on this section of Main Street right now. We're literally, if I'm on, I forget how close we are to the, to the lake, to Lake Winnebago, actually. Like if I'm on a roof, it's literally, you know, 300 yards off in the distance of the lake. We got a marina right there, you know, and all this stuff. And I, I, the city's really grappling with trying to figure out how to better utilize this area. Unfortunately, we have a giant train track that runs like literally parallel with the shoreline like you know right on the edge there so that it's, it's tough to kind of figure out a good way to do that but you know they got a lot of ambition and I, I think that you know from us being in here and I, I don't mean to it's not like I'm talking down about the arena and stuff but um, they had to file for bankruptcy this year and like we had a really tough time getting assistance from the Chamber of Commerce of Oshkosh the city was cool with us but like in terms of like building permits and all that kind of and like, you know, leeway on certain zoning issues and stuff, but they did not get us any like tax incremental financing or anything like no TIF money or anything like that, where there had been several restaurants and the arena that opened up 
literally within months of us that got a lot of this like stuff. And I, I don't, you know, and some of these restaurants were owned by people that were on the chamber of commerce board and, you know, like all this stuff. And, and one of those restaurants has closed since we've opened and the arena has also, and it, you know, so like we kind of look at it and it's, it's one of those things where we start to have this chip on our shoulder where it's like, listen, city of Oshkosh, we're going to do everything we can to help. But like, you know, told you so, <laughs> kind of thing for us, you know what I mean? So we're, I, I really, you know, we're sort of, I think the jewel of the South side right now in terms of the, in, in the city's eyes, just because we're, we're doing well. We haven't needed help from any, <laughs> any of their, you know, like we're kind of just, self-sustaining and um sure it's funny it's an interesting you know again we were really young like I don't blame anybody for not giving us 25 grand and for what I you know like at the time like we're these idiot kids well so each one of those beers that you make are are absolutely well deserved then yeah exactly (laughs) right none of that shit was handed to us that's for sure where do you where do you source the ingredients for your fifth ward beer we found early on just in home brewing that we got a lot better consistency and quality out of European malt and it, I think the European stuff too allows us to have a better variety of base malts as well. We order most of our stuff from the UK. Um, all, a lot of, most of our darker beers and more malt forward beers are all UK. Like we'll use Maris Otter for a ton of our maltier stuff. And then if anything like our, our honey wheat and that sort of stuff, we use all German Pilsner malts. All of our wheat and a lot of our like caramel malt, well, I should say all of our wheat is German wheat. Yeah, it, we just have always found a lot better consistency with, with British. And I know there's some companies in America like Malt Europe and uh, there's a couple other places down in Milwaukee, Proximity Malt, like, that are actually really starting to step their game up in the quality and consistency of the product and starting to get some of these like heirloom varieties and stuff and actually growing them in America so they become a little bit cheaper and easier to manage. But other than that, like we get all of our flaked oats and a lot of our adjuncts and stuff from Greece. All of our caramel malts and our crystal malts come from Greece. Convenient, we just go pick them up if we need to. <laughs> right. But in terms of hops, that's something that we've kind of grappled with a little bit too, trying to bring as much Wisconsin grown hops in as we can. Um, our flagship, well, not anymore, but our 842 Pale Ale was a 100% Wisconsin grown hop beer Very cool. while we were still making that. It's just one of those things that, you know, again, at the as, as quick as the pace of things change with, you know, IPAs and hazy and all that sort of stuff and the, the rate at which new hops are coming out of the Pacific Northwest. It's really hard for us to to say, hey, we're going to use all Wisconsin hops because there's only so many things you can do with the varieties that are being, made, being grown here. And I, honestly, the quality just from the generations of growing experience out west is a lot better, I think, than what it is here. And I'm not saying that the quality is bad from the Wisconsin grown stuff, but it's gotten a lot better since we've started. But I just think it's going to be still a few years before the, you know, the state. And I know Minnesota's grown hops, like places like that really start to catch up in quality and quantity. Well, I think it's probably time to pour another round. Another beer? I do want to talk about the fruit nanny. Oh, we'll drink it then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll try it. it this one intrigued me anyway, so oh, let's give it a go. Key lime pie in a can sounds great. Fruited sour ale brewed with vanilla bean, key lime, and graham crackers. I yeah, this is this this key lime pie, the fruit nanny. It's delicious, and I get way more vanilla bean than I would have expected in a in a really good way. It's it's kind of got that sweet vanilla in it too. Yeah. So. This, I'm going to talk about Lion's Tail again. Um, I hope Alex watches or hears this someday. Cause <laughs> he, uh, so back when I was working at Lion's Tail, he had put out a, uh, a blackberry kettle sour. It was like the first, do you guys remember Anderson Valley's um, Kimmy the Ink and the Goza beer from back in the day at all? It was like the <laughs> first kettle sour beer that I'd ever had. And it totally blew my mind. And it was like, 
tart and super light and refreshing and kind of salty and like then they put out a blood orange version that was super good and it just, again like i just you know learning about craft beer i just you know you go through those phases where it's like all right i'm gonna start drinking something i'm gonna try you know blondales and then you go oh i'm gonna start going darker i'm gonna do an amber and then you get into browns and then, well maybe i'll try ipas and next thing you know you're doing like barrel aged sours and all that kind of stuff and you know we were, i had a huge sour beer phase really loved it we knew we wanted to do them here We'd always talked about doing like a barrel aged sour program, which we haven't gotten on any scale yet. We do have some like smaller, like 10 gallon barrel stuff and like carboys that we've had with uh, like mixed culture sours. But this beer itself is something that we really love having as like a blank slate to just mess around with. I mean, I think we've made probably 10 or 15 different versions of this beer on the, on a large scale. And every time we brew our kettle sour blonde ale, which I call Hootenanny, we basically uh, will pull like four half barrels off uncarbonated and then basically make like small half barrel batches of just like whatever, like just trying new stuff. I've been messing around with like cocoa nibs and things like that and sour beers lately. I mean, just like just fun stuff. But um, this is one that we kind of messed around with for a little while. Key lime. It's got a ton of key lime puree in it. Uh, lactose. Yeah. Graham cracker. And then uh, some vanilla bean. So that's the idea is just key lime pie. Yeah. And it, it is, it's, it's really good. And it does, it kind of hits you right away with the, with the lime flavor, um, yeah. you get that sour immediately and the lime right away, but then it definitely transitions to more of the vanilla. And that's kind of what lingers in the mouth after the yeah, fact is that, that vanilla sure. flavoring. And I'll be honest, it's the first time we'd ever used key lime puree. So we weren't really sure. It turns out there's not a lot of puree in key limes. It's mostly just juice. <laughs> there's another beer that we do. Uh, we do like a milkshake ale series which i was gonna send one of those long I, I just totally forgot but where it's like a lactose free meal that we do where it's, it's literally just like base malt um flaked oats and then lactose so it's like a really light colored blonde ale with a really high finishing gravity so it has like a really like sweet creamy mouthfeel to it and this beer was actually so tart that i ended up taking a couple half barrels of that and pumping it into this beer to sort of help balance out some of that tartness which i think helps quite a bit kind of you know balance it out a little bit but yeah, I mean, like, you know, this is, this beer is, is, it's totally a blank canvas. I mean, the base beer itself is really not flavorless, but it, it's just pretty neutral. It's kind of got a nice tartness to it. We're actually making our kettle sour base today for a plum lavender version that we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks. Um, and I know following that, we're doing pineapple upside down cake. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it's really whatever you want it to be. That's the, the fun part about it. You mentioned before that you, you wanted the, be able to stand out within the brewing industry of Oshkosh. You have some of the Fox River Brewings yep. there, uh, and they, I mean, they brew a good beer, but yours seems to be different. And uh, I saw on your website, you call it small batch creativity. So what is that? What is bringing creativity to the brewing industry? How do you set that up? And how do you keep being creative without being so weird that it's just yeah, like, weird? Totally. No. Um, so this is something I, I tell this, when we give tours and stuff and when people kind of ask like why we brew the beers we do a lot of it is just well whatever we find interesting but the one major key that we always bring into every beer we make is balance like the beer needs to be balanced because if it's not balanced and not just in terms of sweet sour bitter you know whatever it's just like all the flavors sort of need to meld and mesh and there needs to be nothing that like really necessarily like stands out as you know too much or too little like everything just needs to have balance and i think you know, again, with this, we really do rely heavily on our culinary background. Literally, like my hobby when I'm not at work is is cooking. Like I have all the, you know, sous vide, you know, I got my vacuum sealer, I got my cast iron pan, like I'm totally a kitchen nerd. And so 
we really try and bring as much of that or embody as much of that sort of ethos into our into our uh into our beers and stuff you know and that's why i sent identity christ over and if we don't try that one you guys should try it later and it really is it's one of those things where it's just an amber ale that who'd have thought you know you throw some cocoa nibs and a little bit of vanilla in there and it's like a totally different experience and people you know it's just it's a totally different totally different monster when you kind of start messing around with some of that stuff but again i think you know there's this idea of that other breweries may not want to try on a large scale that's how we kind of call it small batch creativity it's it's this stuff you kind of got to be willing to go out go out on a limb and really try something interesting and try something new without you know you got to give i think we give our credit you got to give credit to the customers and i think that they're they're the, our customers are more prepared for the stuff that we're doing than i think a lot of other people think that their customers are you know what i mean like if you put it out there they're gonna be willing to try it and they're gonna be willing to drink it it's it's not just you know brewing for the masses it's it's brewing for you know we have 22 lines too so i mean we got plenty of space to really kind of play with and put different weird things out there but but you're right i mean like we you know i've seen some pickle beers lately haven't done a pickle beer yet I might have to try it. I mean, Interesting. I some dill and some, you know. Yeah, why not? Something. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, so you both uh, obviously are very skilled and passionate about the culinary industry. What went into the decision to not also include the restaurant portion in, in your brewery? We both ran a kitchen before this and it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, it, it really, it was one of those things where it was, you know, we've been talking about, um, open up a second location and stuff. And actually we've had like some conversations like the city of Fond du Lac and all this. If we ever do open up a second location, we absolutely would have a small kitchen. My sister has actually just completed her culinary degree at the Fox Valley Tech and she's trying to open up a food truck. I'm, I've been sort of toying around with the idea of like investing in that and saying, well, hey, if we, you know, if I give you some money to do this, like, will you come be our food truck three days a week? You know, like mm-hmm. you're just here from three to eight every you know, Friday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday or something like that. And um, it's definitely something we'd like to incorporate. But, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what we had on our plate, just of getting the brewery open to begin with, it a kitchen is a whole other monster. And you might as well just start a whole other business, really. Just start with a Give me one second here. Sorry, you got a dog scratching on the office door. <laughs> the resident brewery dog? Yeah, seriously. Cooper. <laughs> Coop. Oh. <laughs> he looks like he's the real boss. He is the real boss, Yeah. <laughs> So Ian, do you have a, um, is there one of your beers or a couple of your beers that tend to be um, your best sellers? Yeah. So Hazer Love It by far is our highest volume selling beer. And then yeah, our, it, our Fruit Nanny series, when we put a new one out, we tend to see huge volumes going out, especially in the first couple of weeks of that. And then it's funny, it's kind of both ends. It's like the far ends of the spectrum are the best sellers. So we have, we also have a beer called 1869, which is a, uh, collaboration we did with the Oshkosh Yacht Club. So they were founded in 1869, so two years ago for their summer regatta series. We collaborated with them and brewed uh, just a light blonde ale. If I'm not drinking craft beer, I'm drinking Miller High Life. We wanted to try and get as close to Miller High Life in ale form as we could, and we, we got real close. So uh, 1869 ale is, or blonde ale is our... Uh, another really good big seller but I mean that's the thing is you know we we don't have liquor we don't we haven't done guest beer in a really long time either just because our lines have been all tied up so when we do get people in here that either aren't craft beer drinkers or hardcore bush light fanatics sort of it's we which we tend you know we do see again like it's Oshkosh isn't blue collar but it is a lot of that you know like we do have a lot of that crowd so we sell a lot of Blondale yeah I mean really it's it's Fruit Nanny, Hazer Lovett and, and Blondale is kind of our our big sellers so, so finding inspiration from from that Miller High Life or bringing the food inspiration into your beers, 
How do you sit down and write a recipe based on something that you want to turn into fifth ward beer? A lot of it really is, again, like there's always this thought of balance. Like everything, there, there has to be balance in all these beers and, and how we produce them. So when we design recipes, Zach tends to be more on the malt side. He really, he, he focuses, he likes dealing with the malts. I'm more of a hop guy. So I, I've gotten pretty good at sort of, you know, looking at his malt bill and, and sort of talking about what the beer is going to be and going, okay, well, in terms of hop, we have a favorite hop here, just it's uh, Magnum, which is, it's like a high alpha, very low um, oil content. So it's like a very neutral hop, I would call it. Um, just a really clean bitterness without leaving a ton of hop character. So we, we use a ton of, of Magnum here, especially in these fruit beers and things like that, where we're not really trying to have very much hop character. So a lot, I mean, again, it's just, it's, it's sort of talking about the beer and understanding what the finishing gravity is going to be, how sweet is that beer going to be when it's done fermenting. And there's sort of a scale in my mind of, you know, all right, well, we, we're going to need to hit 15 IBUs to really balance it out. And then knowing there's going to be some fruit in there, we're going to need to bump up the IBUs just a little bit more. You know, it, it's sort of one of these sort of just kind of, I, I, it's funny too, because like Zach and I are very different people, but it, it's what makes it work. Like he's very detail oriented and I'm much more like big picture. So like my desk is a mess. His desk totally organized. <laughs> you know, like it's one of those things. And like, it, it works though, because, you know, like, and I think with the labels too, you know, and, and the names of these beers, it's like, they all, in my head, they all have their own like personality and they all have like a flavor. And like, I can sort of picture the beer before it's finished. And I, you know, I, that's kind of an important part, I think, in developing these recipes. It's like, okay, what is really, what is this finished thing going to be? And that's kind of why I want to talk about the, the barrel aging program too, because we've gotten a lot better at sort of understanding that, or like considering a barrel an ingredient, you know, it, it isn't, we're not making a beer to be like, like, I don't want to finish our Imperial Stout, have it be done fermenting right before we put it into the, into the barrel. Like, oh, this is delicious, which it should be delicious, you know, but it shouldn't be done, right? Like the barrel itself is a part of the beer. It's an ingredient. So we're brewing these, these beers to be barrel aged, not just as an afterthought of, yeah, oh, we have this stout. Let's throw it in the barrels and see what happens. It's, it's sort of just the forethought of like, actually, uh, you're going to need a nap after that one too. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah so, we were so, just looking at the morning job one as well, which is one of your barrel aged. Um, it's a barrel yeah. aged maple stout um, with coffee. Where do you get your barrels from? Uh, the barrel broker, John, down in Menominee Falls. Is, I, th- I'm, I think a lot of the, a lot of Wisconsin brewers are getting their um, barrels from him. He's a cool dude. He, we go down and pick him up ourselves. You know, he's, he's super accommodating and we always show up and, you know, we'll load our trailer up and then Hey, well, you guys want to try something? And he's like, oh, sure. And he's, of course, he's got a mason jar full of some, you know, <laughs> bourbon that he pulled out of some, you know, 18-year Elijah Craig barrel. And he's like, and then I threw into a rye whiskey barrel for another three months. I'm like, holy shit, John. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm like, well, we got to drive back to Oshkosh, to, you know, still. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> With a trailer full of really expensive barrels? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so we, we've been getting everything from him. Um, and, it, it, you know, we that's one of those things, too, is it's basically trying to time everything out. And I, I could go on for this like about this forever too because since we got this canning line it's totally shifted how we actually plan our brewing schedule and all this stuff but like with barrel aging it's like okay we know we're gonna have this beer ready in three weeks we're gonna go pick up barrels in two and a half weeks so we know is you know and then we'll call him and say hey when are you getting barrels you know and what are you getting so we try and time it out with him so as soon as we get these barrels we're filling them they're as fresh as they can be they're not just sitting around um, waiting to get filled and all that stuff too like a, a specific question on the, the barrels. We got the morning job here. Uh, it's the, the maple stout with coffee barrel aged. Do you pick specific barrels that you know, you know, Elijah Craig has this flavor profile or do you just say, John, we just need some barrels and we're going to, 
we're going to take a crapshoot here and hope hope for the best. We haven't. So I, you know, I'm kind of torn between that because that's one of, and I've I've read articles and I've I've thought about that when I'm drinking beers and things. And I'm I've actually just recently started like buying bourbon, you know, bottles like it, you know, whatever every month or so I'll just buy a new bottle of bourbon and you know I've, I've gotten from doing our own sales and distribution I've made some pretty good friends at some liquor stores in the area that they'll either hang on to something for me or they'll give me some good recommendations and to be honest I don't necessarily I'm going to be totally ostracized for this I don't see a huge difference in a lot of the different barrels <laughs> and I'm sure there is you know like I and I, maybe I just don't have the the palate yet for it and I don't necessarily know and I but you know that it's one of those things where you taste bourbon and it's like, I don't know if you guys are into bourbon or not, but it, I've, I've done a little research and it's like, it's the majority of the bourbon is literally all the same mash. Like, you know what I mean? Like all the, anything that comes out of Buffalo Trace Distillery is literally one of three mashes. And there's like maybe 50 different brands, you know what I mean? So it's like, it, and it's all just age and where they are in the warehouse, these, the barrels, all, you know, so I don't necessarily know that the barrels themselves have different characteristics what i will say though is that i think that the time like the age of the barrels obviously if you have a bourbon sitting in a barrel for five years it's going to get so deep into the wood whereas with 10 years it's going to get deeper into the wood you know so i I think there is sort of something that happens to the oak itself when the bourbon's in there that does translate over to the beers but but you know like i I have noticed in the past year you know this is this is only our second year that um what what we're opening right now is our second year that we actually had some barrel aged beers come out and you know, I will say that this this vintage was a lot oakier and almost had like a vinous like wine character to it a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, just you know, really trying to like understand the the barrel character. Yeah, like I said, I don't really think there's a huge difference. I'm sure there is, and you know, it's one of those things where I'd have to have our beer in several different barrels to really know. You know, like the same stout aged in different barrels, and even then, you know, like we'll have barrels of the same lot, you know, like same bourbon, same aging and all that stuff, same beer going into them. And they all taste a little bit different. So, you know, it's like every barrel is a little bit different. Every wherever, yeah, I don't you know, who knows even there's so many different variables when it comes to this stuff. But I think a lot of it and, and you, what you've talked about with the branding, I think you'll get it a lot of bourbons. And, and I'm going to agree with you slightly on the fact that a lot of them do taste similar. And even with, with craft beer, for the most part, beer is beer. An IPA made with Simcoe or Citra hops relatively tastes similar enough. I think how people make decisions is, is something that we're trying to do here on the podcast is just understand the story and the brand behind it. Mm-hmm. I think what people can relate to and, and why they choose this versus this. So I think there's a, a little bit of that too. It's, it's about the story that you tell, whether it's the story within the glass or the story visually or just you know, your brand story that you talk about and, and feel and experience within the tap room as well. Yeah. And, you know, on that note, it's like, I will say that, you know, like from when we've opened till now, I think that our brand and all that sort of stuff has really changed. It's been very dynamic in terms of what we do, but I, yeah, I think that's part of the fun of it. And I think that's what keeps people coming back to the tap room. You know, we have a huge contingent of regulars that are back every time we put out, you know, like very specifically, there's just one couple that every time we put out a new fruit nanny, that whole first week they're there like every day and they'll each drink like four pints of it. You know what I mean? It's like just all this stuff where it's like, you know, they, we have the people that know what they like that, or that know what we make and they know what we like, you know, like what they like of what we make and all that. And yeah, it is, you know, we've always said that too. We want to have a little bit of something for everything. You know, I can, I guarantee I can find a beer you like kind of thing. You know, <laughs> like it's one of those, like when people walk in the tavern, it's like, we got something for you. I promise. What's your conversation uh, with people that walk in and be like, I, I just don't like craft beer help me be introduced to it. Yeah. 
so um we have the milkshake ale series i was kind of mentioned earlier with like the lactose cream ale base and i will say that that beer the one we have on tap right now is called infinity scarf um it's a peach cobbler ale so it's very basic kind of like the infinity scarf (laughs) yeah you wear it for with your ug or you drink it with your ug boots and your (laughs) whatever um and it's it's literally it's one of those things where it's like well, let me give you, you know, people come in here like i don't really like beer it's like well, let me give you a beer that tastes as far from what your idea of beer is you know what i mean so yep. i'm gonna give you something that has cinnamon and nutmeg and vanilla and peaches and cherries and apricots in it. and you're at the end of the day you're not even going to taste the beer you know because i think most of the people that say they don't like beer are the ones that either have tried like just don't like miller light like they're just not into that or maybe they tried craft beer and they were served an ipa with 80 ibus and they're like this is the most ridiculous bitter thing i've ever had and it totally turned them off you know or they just had bad beer you know it, it could have been in any number of things but and, you know we're not afraid to give out samples you know like i've spent 15 minutes with customers just and, you know 10 samples later we finally find some that they're into and it's like and it, it always blows my mind because it's always like you know some guy who likes craft beer and his wife and then his wife's like well i'm more of a wine drinker and it's like okay and um, actually, I have a really good friend. So we made this uh, triple IPA called Lost Marbles. It was like 12% alcohol. And I have this friend, Melanie, who I used to work with back at Tom's Drive-In back when I was in high school. And she lives in Oshkosh, so she comes in quite a bit. She's like, you know, I really don't like beer. She's a whiskey drinker. I'm like, all right. And she came in and she goes, I love Lost Marbles. And I'm like, that is the <laughs> most crafty beer I can possibly. It's like a 12%, 85 IBU, just like ridiculous beer. She's like, that's the only one I like that you have on tap. I'm like, you are something else. But like, that's great. You know, like, it, it, I, I think too, like people don't know what craft beer, like a lot of people don't understand what craft beer can be either. You know, like they all they kind of have this idea of what beer is and, you know, and that's what's so great about having this sort of the small batch creativity side of it. It's like, we, we can literally make whatever we want, you know, like that's the, the fun part about it. Yeah. Well, and there's so many different, you know, varieties and flavors and, and whatnot that goes into different craft beers that, you just have to find something that you like. And, yeah, exactly. and as you said, there's, you know, people that maybe say or, or claim that they don't like craft beer, they've maybe had a, a poor experience, or they just haven't found that that kind, that style, right. that flavoring that they, they really like in the craft beer. And so then that's kind of shying yeah. away from trying more. Too, and with these barrel aged beers too, I just kind of want to touch on this, like, this is something we knew before we want we opened that we really I mean we Zach and I just love making high alcohol beers because it's just one of those like how far can you push it kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and so our our brew house was built and manufactured here in Wisconsin. We went with uh, Quality Tank Solutions, they're out of Oconomowoc, um, and then they have a big manufacturing facility up in Marshfield. It's so, like a lot like I know they just built Eagle Park's new system. They built like a ton of like they're kind of one of the main manufacturers here in Wisconsin for like small to mid level systems. Like I think they go up to like fifty barrels now, but. And we're, we're working with an oversized 10. We've been able to squeeze up to 15 and a half barrels out of our system, um, depending on what we're making. So like some of the, like Hazer level, we'll usually end up with about 12 barrels finished product. Blondales, we can get more out of it. Anything that has less hops in it is easier to get more beer out of because there's just less waste. But when we had our equipment built, there were some things that we knew we wanted in place in, specifically for barrel-aged beers and high-gravity beers. And so we had this extra pipe put in that runs from our boil kettle back to our mash tun. And so basically it allows us to double mash. So what we'll do is we'll run our, so like this stout that we're drinking is the double mashed Imperial stout. So basically we'll run our first mash and that first mash includes all of our um, like roasted malts, caramel malts, anything that adds any coloring or anything like that to it. Plus a pretty high amount of base malts. 
And then that second mash, so we'll, we'll run the, we'll run our mash, run all the work into our kettle, pull all the grain out and rinse the, the mash ton out. And then we'll literally mash in again with that first liquid, that first, those first, that first mash um, wort into basically a mash of nothing but base malt. So we're, we're essentially doubling up on the, uh, the, the sugar content in our liquid. Um, and I know there's been experiments done on this. Like I've listened to some podcasts where you can literally do this indefinitely. Like there's no, like eventually oh, wow. it's just, eventually it's just impossible to like actually louder and it's impossible to actually get the wort to run out of your grain because it's just so thick and syrupy. But so, I mean, you know, like on the bottle, it says 14.8% alcohol. We actually, for our barrel aid stuff, we send it into the lab to get it ABD tested because there's no real good way to actually check it while coming out of the barrel. So, so we're double mashing these beers. This one, I think we boiled for six hours. So we've been experimenting. We typically boil for 90 minutes. We've been experimenting with some higher uh, uh, boil times. We actually just did a barley wine that we did an overnight boil for. It was about 10 hours. And then um, we just did a, this, this stout also has another sister stout. We call two man job. It doesn't have the maple syrup in it. And that one we did for about 12 hours, which is just creating longer chain sugars, kind of giving beers more body. One of my biggest pet peeves is, imperial stouts that don't have like that viscosity that you know it's like they're just thin and boozy where i, I want that like thick mouth coating especially when you're up in 14 15 alcohol i mean this beer is you know it's boozy but it but i think some of that body kind of masks some of that alcohol from it too you know for sure you like making those those high abv beers have you uh have you had the chance to ever get snake venom over in the uk no i have not the, the, the world's strongest beer you I guys uh, are, are approaching that at all <laughs> no i don't think so that's like brandy at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's sixty-seven and a half percent ABV. So ridiculous! Wow. That one comes in a dead squirrel, right? Or is that the uh, which one is that? I'm sure it would kill a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we're we're not getting there yet. Um, no, I, you know, it, it's it's fun. like so we we have one house ale like yeast strain that we use too pretty typically because again we don't really have like a lab set up yet where we can really start pulling in separate strains of yeast. So we're really and we we use white labs ale just for the majority of our beers and like it for us it's, it's still you know it's taken us three years to really figure out what that yeast is capable of and so the, the barley wine i just mentioned too we actually without any extra like we didn't use any corn syrup like no simple sugars or anything in that beer and we got it up to i think it finished out at 14.3 percent alcohol you know so it, it's like we're reaching the and we've heard of beers getting up to 15 with the yeast strain that we're using so we're like really reaching that high end of what we can actually do and so, another, I mean, with barrel aging too, it, with how like dynamic that can be is this beer, the morning job went into barrels, I think at 11 and a half percent alcohol. So this beer itself gained 3.3% alcohol just from spending 11 just months in a in. bourbon barrel, you know, and, yeah. you know, and who like, yet we had other barrels that only went up 1%, you know, like we had one barrel that went up 0.3%. It's like, well, okay, like is it the evaporate, you know, like what is the sort of really, what is causing that? Like that stuff that we're really starting to figure out too and trying to get the stuff more consistent and be able to like blend and all that kind of stuff and actually have these tools in our tool belt um, to really kind of make more high quality and more consistent barrel aged product. And, and while we're talking about the barrel aging process, you know, when you, when you hear about the bourbon aging and they talk about the angel's share of the evaporation mm -hmm. X amount of percent over, over a year or whatever, what does that look like for beer and how do you manage the evaporation loss of, of yeah. the beer? So I know for this batch, um, for what we're drinking right now, I think we've topped, we topped these barrels off twice throughout the year. And so what we usually try and do is we'll pull uh, about like a, like a half barrel of still beer off before it goes into barrels. And then we'll just keep that in the cooler. So throughout the year, we'll just go back and top those off. I think we, we went through a full half barrel and I think we had about 
seven barrels of this beer, seven oak barrels or whatever, but we went through a 15 gallons in the year that it was actually, that those were in barrels. So, I mean, you know, we, we saw about two gallons a year of evaporation through there. And oh. yeah, it, you know, and actually it's funny because all the stuff we just put into barrels, we don't have any backup for. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how that actually <laughs> works in the end. But um, sure. yeah, we do see quite a, a, quite a bit of it. Like I mentioned, I've been, I've been looking up the Buffalo Tray. Like I was just on their website the other day, just kind of going through their stuff and there's certain vintages. They'll tell you, like, you can read the specs and it's like some 10 year bourbon. It, what is it? It's like, 59% loss or something. Cause they're not actually topping up their barrels either. You know, like you can't top up right. bourbon. Like if it's, if you put fresh whiskey into a 10 year bourbon barrel, it's not 10 year bourbon anymore, you know? So it's like, they literally just have right. to eat the loss. And it's like, they're literally losing more than half of what goes into those barrels over the course of 10 years, which is insane to me. But yeah, I mean, like it's not, it's not super huge or anything, but it definitely is noticeable. But yeah, the morning job is a good one. Um, and, and as you mentioned, 14.8% uh, ABV, um, it is, it's, it's strong, but it, um, it does have that nice um, kind of barrel oaky flavor yeah. a little bit too. And, and it's got the maple, the maple in there as well. And I think it's, it's got that balance that you were talking about before where it doesn't, it, it's a high ABV, but it doesn't have that punch when you drink it either. So yeah. it's, it's an easy drinker for 15, 15 ish percent. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely, the, the heat's definitely well hidden. And I think a lot of that has to do again with like sort of the viscosity. I think the sweetness to it adds a lot. And again, I mean, just healthy fermentations. Like we've really focused quite a bit on just yeast health and pitching, you know, repitching our yeast and all that sort of stuff. And we're starting to really see sort of the benefits of actually having, you know, sitting down and when we're pulling yeast and we, every time we pull yeast, we actually like weigh, you know, what we pull. Like, so we'll, we'll, we don't want, you know, we've seen this from home brewing too. It's like you, you pull your yeast and you put it into a mason jar and you shake it up and let it settle for a few hours. You can see layers form. You know, you don't want the bottom third. You want the middle third. You don't want the top third because the middle third is going to be the most consistent. It's not the stuff that fell first and it's not the stuff that fell last. It's sort of just the average of the two and you know, so we've used a lot of these like techniques and things like that without having a lab in place to really, you know, we were talking about quality assurance earlier. It's like, well, there's just sort of steps and, and routines that we've gotten into that have sort of kept things consistent um, and, and stable, I guess I would call it. Well, Cameron and I both are, um, do enjoy bourbon as well. So we can appreciate when, uh, when there's <laughs> yeah. characteristics of both bourbon and beer combined. Um, but Ian, we do want to know where, where can people find oh, your beer? Um, you can find, sorry, I just spilled beer on my computer. Give me one second. <laughs> oh, no. A waste of morning go. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> a rough start to the morning. I usually spill my coffee on my computer. So. Well, this is basically just fermented coffee. <laughs> you don't see his computer just start to like fizz out. <laughs> This is what 14.8% ABV beer does before 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, so we, we do, like I mentioned, we, we distribute locally or distribute all ourselves. So we are in Festival Foods here in Oshkosh. We're in Festival Foods in Nina, um, Fond du Lac as well. We're working on getting up into like the Appleton and Darboy Festival Foods. And, uh, and then liquor stores. So basically we're in like Corks and Cats up in Greenville, um, we just got up into wine cellar up into pier Nemeth Southside market in Appleton. And I know, uh, working on, um, Valley liquor and little shoot superior discount liquor. We're going to be trying up in green Bay. And then uh, we're working on superior discount down in Sheboygan and a few other places, but I, we do, I mean, we're on, we're on drafting quite a few accounts too. 
Um, I know since we've opened, we've serviced about 180 different draft accounts, but that's kind of spread throughout. And a lot of those were like single instances and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we're around. Ask for it. I mean, that's the thing too. We have a, we have a whole thing on our website where if, if people look and like bar owners want to actually reach out to us, we have like a whole section on our website where they can just send the information. We'll get them on our email list and all that kind of stuff. And, and your tap room is currently open and, and welcoming of guests. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're open. That's for sure. Normal hours, you know, we bartenders wearing masks and all that sort of stuff. We got hand sanitizer at every table doing what we can, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where people kind of just are going to do what they will. And we, uh, we try to be as accommodative as we can, but yeah, we're open. Well, so, so that's a, that's a good segue into, I guess, COVID or no COVID, what can people do to support you and support the craft beer industry as a whole? And, and what advice would you give to just anyone listening right now? I would say support your local stuff. I mean, you know, the, the biggest thing is it's really easy for, and when I say local, I mean like hyper local, right? Like if I could have everybody in Oshkosh have Hazer Love It be their go-to beer, you know, like that would be incredible, but obviously that's not going to happen, but we can try and build these relationships with people as much as we can. And I, you know, that's one of our strengths here at the tap room is that I think we have, we've done a really good job at being as friendly and as accommodating and, you know, as personable as we can to the customers when they come in, you know, we want people to come in here and have a great experience. And when they think Oshkosh beer, they think of fifth ward, you know, and I, I think that you don't have to come here necessarily to have that experience either. You know, like we just, it's, it's, it's all just sort of, uh, you know, trying to get people to understand that we're your neighbor kind of thing. Yeah. Like I literally live like a few blocks away from here. Like I'm in the neighborhood of our, of our customers, you know, like I see our customers when I go grocery shopping and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's building these relationships that huge, that are, it's huge for us, you know, in, in terms of keeping customers and building a fan base and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, really, I think people can just understand that they can come and get beer that actually, and this is a huge benefit. Of, I hate to say it. There's like benefits of a global pandemic, but <laughs> um, you know, from being shut down, I mean, like it really was one of those things where we saw, our, obviously saw, cause everything we were selling was to go, you know, we saw this huge increase in to go beer sales, but that didn't go away once things opened back up. And, you know, it was one of these ideas where, well, so many people came in to buy a growler that didn't have one before. And now they have this growler with our logo on it. And they're like, okay, I can go back to fifth ward and I can fill this growler. So we're seeing a lot of repeat customers of that. Um, I think people are seeing our place as more of a, you know, as somewhere they can go pick up four packs and pick up beer to go rather than have to come and sit at the bar. You know, it's really just shifted kind of the way people, I think, see breweries and tap, room, tap rooms. And, you know, we're, I think, really starting to understand that we are part of the local economy and we're here to support as much as we can. You know, we do as much charitable work as we can. We give as much time and as much money and product. And, you know, we collaborate as much as we can with like local charities and places that are doing charitable giving and all that sort of stuff. So it's like the more, more support we see from the local community, the more we're able to get, give back, you know? So it's sort of a positive feedback loop of just kind of local collaboration. And I know me personally, like I'm a huge you know proponent of that. I, I like shopping local. I try and shop as local as I can, as much as I can. And, you know, it's rewarding to do so. And it, you know, for me, it's, it's easy. Cause like, I, again, I know a lot of these people just from being in the industry and, you know, going to different restaurants and bars and selling beer and stuff. So like I have a personal level relationship with a lot of these people, but I, like, I want people to understand they can come do that here, too. Like, I we want, I, I call it, like, the Fifth Ward family, you know? And we've been trying to actually come up with, like, a like a custom, like, like we don't have, a, like, a mug club kind of thing. And I've been trying to come up with something like that and, like, what I'd call it. And I just, like, you know, our whole big thing is, like, Fifth Ward. It's the name of a neighborhood. You know, I'm trying to, like, come up with a sort of idea where it's, like, 
like the fifth word, the neighbor program or something, you know, it's like, we, we really are your, like your neighbor, you know, like everybody, like in Oshkosh, I just want them to, we are your neighbors. Like we are here, you know, I, you see me at the grocery store, you see me driving by your house in the morning on the way to work I mean, like all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's more, much more of a community, I think, than people understand. And, and as a, as a bar and as a brewery, I think we're in a unique position to be able to collaborate and to be able to facilitate these sort of neighborhood meetings and these sort of public gatherings obviously it's tough right now but you know that the spirit of that is is still in everything that we do yeah of course and it's nice to know who you're who you're supporting you know you you mentioned being yeah, a neighbor yeah. and you're you have these personal relationships with um with the you know your your neighbors and your customers that are coming in and it's nice right. to know that you know you, you are supporting some something that is is putting something back into the community that you live into. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, right. It's, it, you know, and the people from our neighborhood come to drink beer here, they know that, you know, every dollar they, they give us is going to kind of some in, in a way go back into their very own community, you know, and they're, sure. they're going to see the, the positive benefits of all that. So. Well, you know, our, our last question for you, it, you already answered it, but I'm not going to let you break our tradition here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not drinking your own beer, what do you find yourself oh. drinking? Okay, this is good. So it depends. As I mentioned earlier, if it's cheap, I'm going to be drinking Miller High Life. <laughs> I've got three answers to this, actually. So Miller High Life's the first one. If it's the end of the night and I'm like ready to go home, and I hate to admit this, I drink a mango White Claw. God, I hate I said that a lot. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I really, huh. I've been... Would not have called that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I could give some recommendations of what I've been drinking lately, I guess. I've, um, I'm a huge fan of Blackstack Brewery out of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota right now. So they're under the Pequod distribution, which is like Untitled Art and all that. Blackstack has been making some of the best IPAs that I've had in a very long time. They're all super, super well balanced and like really, really distinct. And, I, you know, it's one of those things where I always think hazy IPAs can kind of eventually they kind of all just start to taste the same. because You know, how many different combinations of hops can you really do? I haven't had a, a miss from them yet. I also really love anything... New Glarus. <laughs> Although I won't drink Spotted Cow anymore, but like their seasonals are always killer. Like I've been drinking a ton of Fat Squirrel lately. And then I'm a big fan of Lakefront, honestly, just Lakefront's like Coraline above just like, you know, River West Stein and Eastside Dark and all that. And it's funny, you know, we t I talked about this pendulum earlier of, you know, when you kind of get into craft beer, just the way the industry works. And it's like, you know, River West Stein was one of those first craft beers I drank before I started really getting into it. And now I'm back at like, just give me a River West Stein. That's what I want. Like, <laughs> give me a good amber lager you know could go for that sure well and in addition to to trying different craft beers uh both cameron and i are also pbr fans so Yay. we did notice the uh, pbr oh, yeah, emblem uh, <laughs> on the wall behind you yeah we got all sorts of memorabilia we actually just um so one of uh zach's old roommates from the house that we learned to brew in college his name's jared he's a one of the track coaches at UWO here, but he's a huge like Guriana, like memorabilia fan. Okay. It's funny because he's he's one of the younger guys in that sort of like it's it's kind of a very old man thing. And he's you know, he's just about our age. He's really into it. And he's actually been setting up it's in May and I can't I wish I had the exact date on the off the top of my head right now. But we did it last last year as well in October. It was a little colder, but he's been sort of setting up these like Guriana showcase like trade show things so we have another one here in, in may and he's trying to make it a yearly thing um i think we had like 40 vendors show up last year or something and it's just all so it's like stuff like that pbr sign um old, especially in oshkosh like a lot of old like people's brewing like old cases and bottles and um chief oshkosh stuff so 
Uh, we actually have a really That's right in your tap room. Yep. Yeah. So we also, it was so big this year. We actually had to like, had it in the brewery as well as out in the beer garden. Um, but we have like, right when you walk in our front door, right above the front door, there's like kind of a wall that um, we have just, it's a bunch of different, like really, really cool old like beer trays, just like that one. Um, and it's all Oshkosh stuff. So we have like old, like just weird little things that are, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old or whatever. I find a lot of that stuff really interesting. It's we've kind of become this like hub of where like, some of our regular customers just bring stuff in now like hey this has just been sitting in my house for 15 years like not doing collecting dust like do you guys want it it's like yeah first like we'll absolutely put sure. that up you're right like we'll put that up on display like it's, it's going to get more appreciation here than it is at somebody's house and they know that and you know so we're like it really all comes down to this idea of like trying to be oshkosh's neighborhood brewery and be the the, the beer meeting place of oshkosh and sort of when people think oshkosh beer they think of fifth ward uh, I, I lied. I have one more question. Uh, I reached out to someone in Oshkosh that I know who uh, looking for an inside info on you guys. Yeah. And he recommended uh, talking about your record collection and the opportunity for your customers to bring in their own records to play. Yeah. So speaking of, of old things. Well, so uh, we, and we don't do it as we don't do it as much anymore with COVID and all that, but yeah, we used to do Thursday night vinyl nights where if you bring in a record, we'll play aside and give you your first beer free. I will just say that every day is vinyl night at this point so if you bring in a record we'll play the first side it was a lot zach and i used to bartend a lot more back in the day when we first opened just trying to again bootstrap it and kind of save as much money as we can we had gone through this series of like we hired a salesperson kind of didn't work out we found the cheapest thing to do or the most cost efficient thing for us to do was to hire bartenders and so since we stopped bartending we haven't done as much vinyl just because of the you know kind of a daunting thing to learn the vinyl right whatever they're very delicate and all our bar you know our bartenders don't want to learn it. i totally get it but yeah, we have a huge vinyl collection. I would say a third of it is like old cool hip hop too. Like again, like that's where a lot of our sort of, you know, stuff comes from. But yeah, I mean, bring your records in. We got we got everything from, you know, most deaf to the Beatles to Boston, like whatever you want, honestly. Well, Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and for our listeners, head to, head to Fifth Ward Brewing Company in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You and Zach have been brewing beer essentially since 2012, right? Yep, yep. Stop by Fifth Ward, say hi to Ian and Zach and Mo and the gang. That's right. And until next time, peace out. Appreciate it, guys. Cool, thanks. Hey, and uh, you, you mentioned Alex from Lion's Tale a couple times. So if you, uh, if you didn't hate your time with us, uh, be sure to tell Alex about us and maybe we can have him on and he can talk about what a great employee you were. Oh, I would love that. You guys, if, uh, this actually was super fun. I've done a couple of podcasts in the past and like, I think this one was definitely the most in-depth. I love talking about this shit and it's really hard to find people that I can just like go on and on and on about it with in any capacity. So, so this is cool, but yeah, no, we love hearing it. Yeah. I'll definitely love it. All. Cheers guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pour Another Round. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Pour Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries that are friends of the show. You can find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round.